0: keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified?
3: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
4: Call four two three six six seven seven eight seven seven and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
5: Do you like ska punk bands like Blue Meanies, Link Eighty, Slapstick, and Choking Victim? This was a question posed in a recent Brooklyn Vegan article. And if the answer is yes, it says, and you're craving new bands to listen to, the recommendation is New Orleans group Joystick. Our guest today is Joystick's lead singer, Paul Tucker, or Duck, as he's more commonly referred to as. Formed in 2008, Joystick have released four LPs. The latest, I Can't Take It Anymore, will release on April 16th, a collaboration between Stomp and Bad Time Records. And yes, if you like interesting
2: and eclectic ska punk, this is an album you will love. So, Aaron, do you know that there's actually two different bands called Joystick? I did not know that. There was a New Jersey band that had the same name, Joystick. And then now there's the New Orleans Joystick. I feel like Joystick has been a part of my life longer than they've maybe been a part of my life, (laughs) because I was aware of both versions. But that said, I definitely prefer this version of Joystick you got to take the Ska version. I always take the Ska version. I'm not sure if the other version was Ska or not. I know that they uh, were you know, in that same scene, but it was all kind of mixed up at the time. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I have a very strong affinity towards all the members of Joystick without ever formally meeting any of them. And
5: they're a good band. They've um, gotten better the longer they've been a band. Their new album is, is really good. Yeah, it's amazing. I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of joystick you guys started in like 2008 or so is that correct
1: yeah um we met up at least uh in december in 2008 and started writing songs but we didn't um like play our first show or anything until 2009
5: i don't know if like a lot of people probably aren't aware of this but there was a really really raging ska scene in new orleans in the mid-2000s and I'm trying to think time wise, timeline-wise, and it seems to me like you guys were starting either at the tail end of that scene or after that scene when Ska was kind of on the way out in New Orleans.
1: Uh, yeah, like the first about like two years or three years we were a band, the shows were absolutely insane here. Um, and then it died off, and um, it was just us for a couple years, and then a couple more bands popped up here and there. but. Yeah, it was it was awesome at first. I used to come here all the time with my old band, and I kind of just fell in love with the with the city and the scene here. Oh, so you're
5: not from New Orleans originally?
1: No, I'm from Texas. I see. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I was talking to Duck recently because um, I was talking about the horrible Texas tour that Link Eighty did, and and Duck's old band actually played the show we played in Dallas, right?
1: Yeah. Uh huh. That awful coffee shop
2: yeah it was it was supposed to be what at the, at the, i think the place was called like the galaxy club or something
1: yeah i i didn't know that actually until i was talking to chris yesterday and um he was telling me that it was supposed to be the galaxy club it would have been way better
2: <laughs> yeah we played there a bunch of times over the years and and then all of a sudden we showed i think we actually showed up to that venue and they were like oh no and and then somebody told us oh yeah it's down the street at this coffee shop The only thing I can remember about that show is we had that big 80 banner that we would hang behind us and we left it at that show.
1: No, But
2: then the the good news was that um, we had friends that we stayed with in Dallas, Kirsten and and, uh, Elizabeth. We stayed with them all the time out there for years. And so they went back to the venue and salvaged it for us and, and stuck it in the mail for us. But what do you remember about that show, Doc?
1: I remember that I was, uh, well, I was like a huge Link 80 fan. And uh, there was, I was just on some forum. It, it wasn't even like advertised anywhere, that show. And I think I was on the ARA forum. And it was like Link 80 is playing this show or whatever. And so I just like messaged them on the forum or maybe on an email or something. And I was like, Please let us play the show. We'll open. We'll do it. You know, I was like, hey. and they were like, yeah, sure. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember calling the, guy, the guys up and, and everybody was freaking losing our minds. And so like looking back, it's like, wow, that must have really sucked. But, like back then I was like, I, I, I didn't care because I was like seeing one of my favorite bands. And I remember like just being like up in y'all spaces and like singing every, every song. And I don't, I don't remember too much, but Chris was like telling me yesterday, he was like, yeah, like at the back of the room, there's just like people on computers. I was like, what? I guess it was like a computer cafe place.
2: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. It was just like a janky coffee shop. I feel like it might be a manufactured memory on my part, but I I feel like I remember you being like the one kid at that show that was into us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember that the rest of my band kind of just left after we played too, which I thought was weird. Now,
2: which, which band was that, that played that show?
1: We were called better than nothing, which is, you know, a very generic name. It's kind of hard to find, but we toured. I mean, we went, all all over North America, uh, several times. Wow.
2: Was there another pre joystick band or was that it?
1: Yeah, then I ju- uh moved to West Virginia for a couple of years Cause, uh Better Nothing would tour like three, four, five weeks a year, you know. It was fun, but um I wanted to do more. So I moved to West Virginia and I joined this band called Cryptorch and Chipmunk and uh we would tour Nine ten months out of the year, so we would just we would go nonstop. We'd be like booking the tour while we're on tour, and then uh, that that was fun. But oof, our lead singer was just insane, so he ended up in like the hospital, and so that band broke up. So I moved back to Texas and started detonate.
5: How did your singer end up in the hospital?
1: Well, he was. Oh man, I don't know what I can talk about. on here. Uh, <laughs> I I think he was on like a lot of really bad drugs because uh, he he stopped eating and he he thought uh, he he like thought people were putting microphones in his food and stuff and <laughs> yeah uh, it was it was weird. So you know we were kind of like all right uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we did like one last tour that we had booked. And I, ju- I, just sang. I was the keyboard player of that band, so I just, uh, I just sang on the last tour, and then, um, I just moved. I moved uh, back to Texas, and actually, Chris Ruckus, uh, Chris from, how do you say it, the name of his band, Dissidente. Dissidente. Yeah, he was in that band with me too. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've known him for yeah fifteen years, maybe longer. Wow. And then
2: back in Texas, the next band was Detonate, right?
1: Yeah, and I had all the contacts from being in that the West Virginia band that we just took off, you know? like We would go out for months at a time, too, but all, I knew everybody in all these scenes, so booking tours was super easy.
2: Right, and so for people who haven't heard Detonate, what, what did that band sound like? How would you describe it?
1: Definitely, like, early Flatliners, um, Link 80 was was an influence against all authority more of the heavier kind of punk ska stuff but not like the not like the newer kind of ska like Flaming Tsunamis or Best of the Worst where it's like metalish it was pretty heavy punk but with horns
2: it was fun so what where is the transition there from doing Detonate and then starting Joystick
1: Basically uh, I moved it's a little fuzzy here because um we actually have a song on the new album about this. Um I kinda was like I had a substance abuse problem and I kinda let it like kind of control my emotions more than I probably should have. And so um I had like an ego problem. It was I was like not a very cool person back then. And so uh I just like kinda just like left and moved to New Orleans and started joystick
5: what is the song on the new album out of curiosity
1: it's called detonate
5: did you move to new orleans specifically because of the how cool the scene was there or did was it just totally random
1: well i really don't care for texas much i mean it's an awesome place to visit but it's not i don't really feel at home there if that makes sense and um just something about new orleans uh I feel like I can be myself here. And so that's probably a big part of it. But the music scene here, I mean, is incredible. Even though this, the ska scene here kind of has fluctuated over the last decade or so, the punk scene here has steadily been absolutely incredible. Like one of the best in the country. It's awesome.
2: <laughs> so with Joystick, would you, would you consider yourselves more ska punk or is it more punk ska?
1: Oh, I don't know. What's it? What? What's the difference?
2: My thought on it would just be: it sounds like you're more involved in the punk scene, or at least the punk scene is is where you, you're finding uh f- finding less fluctuation and and more support. Do Do you find that you guys play more like punk type shows?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. As far as like local sh- like shows in New Orleans, especially when we were like the only ska band in the state for like three or four years. Unless there was a touring band coming through, we would just play with the local punk bands. But they're super supportive, you know. You know, in certain scenes, like, the punk guys are too cool for ska, and the ska guys don't like the you know. But it's not really like that here so much. Everybody's pretty chill with each other and respectful.
5: So back in your pre joystick days, you had toured through New Orleans, right? Yeah. Uh huh. And so you you had you've had some good experiences, right? Can can you tell people what that's like the the scene that you you got to witness as a as a touring band through New Orleans?
1: We would play with this band, you know Tom from Over Easy Booking. He uh, he was in the band here, and they would they would just throw all eight shows here, and they were. Crazy. You you could come here on like a Tuesday and it'd be like two, 300 kids at a show. It was awesome. And um, basically the only all-age venue that I know of that was around here closed about three years after Joystick started. And that was like kind of once the shows started getting a little smaller. When it was all-age shows, it was incredible. What was the all-ages venue? Uh, It was called the High Ground. And then they changed the name to the Cypress and I think it changed back to the high ground. It was uh, actually in Metairie, Louisiana. If you know where that is, it's like the next city over from New Orleans.
2: So we we were talking to the guys in in Val, You know, we were talking about how a lot of tours will just pass over. Will just pass over New Orleans. They'll you know go from Texas straight to through to Florida. Have you noticed that before? Has that been your experience with it?
1: Yeah, definitely with the. With the ska bands, that's true, Um, or like, you know, the bigger, the bigger tours and stuff. But the smaller, more DIY bands always, you know, they want to come here and they want to see the French Quarter and stuff. And, you know, we'll get them a good show and get them some money and stuff. But um, I was actually talking to Tom about that. I was like, why do why do these bigger bands like usually skip New Orleans? He was saying, like, for ska bands, for example, like, um, well, you can't have an all-age show in New Orleans and sell alcohol. And the venues aren't going to make enough money to pay the band's guarantees if they have an all-age show. But then if they have a 21 and up show, there's not enough people coming in. It's just a matter of money. I think,
2: Aaron, you had a similar experience on, on tour. We didn't have a show at one point when we were driving from Texas to Florida but we we made sure to stop in new orleans around dinner time and i think we went to Verde mart and got po boys i i think i think aaron aaron's band flat planet did this, a similar thing where they just you know wanted to see see the site
5: we stopped in uh french quarter for like 4 hours i mean we had <laughs> cuz you know just wanted to see it and uh walk around a little bit and remember just i remember walking by um we went into one of those stores that sells a bunch of like voodoo stuff and and there's like a building that's like I don't remember what they called it but it was essentially ghostbusters just you know phrased a little differently <laughs> that's funny
1: <laughs> so uh flat planet or link 80 uh never played in New Orleans
2: link 80 did we played it we played at jimmy's and we also played uh the the plea for peace tour in 2000 that was upstairs in, in a big theater I can't remember the name of it but I remember that it was like this weird little side room. And then I went exploring after our set and realized that we were in this like gigantic, super nice, like really fancy theater. And it was just the show was being thrown in this little weird side room.
1: Weird. I wonder where that was. Some Somebody
2: will know. I, I can't. Remember. I mean, I can remember so much different stuff, but some of it just falls away.
1: Yeah, I understand.
2: So th- when this comes out, it will already be announced that jo- Joystick has joined the Bad Time Records roster. I just wanted to get your get your thoughts on on uh, being a part of the Bad Time family.
1: I'm beyond stoked. Uh, I am like a huge fan of every band on there, and uh, we toured with Kill Lincoln a couple of years ago. It was like instant bromance. <laughs> we just hit it off so well with those guys and um it's i don't know it just it's cool it's a i feel like i'm part of the cool club now you know (laughs) Uh, if that makes sense it's like an honor and like i'm like kind of nervous but i'm super excited to to be a part of it and i just want to um i want to do whatever i can to like you know i want to like help all the bands on the label and help the label i just want to like I feel like it's like this amazing community and like we have this opportunity here to like do some really cool, good stuff, be involved. And in. it's awesome. It's a good feeling.
2: It's a similar feeling for, for myself, like all, everything you just said, I've felt all of those emotions. So I reached out to some of the other Bad Time Records bands for questions to ask you. Catbite says, in three words, describe the feeling of being on a big TV in Times Square above the Sunglass Hut. <laughs> so what are they talking about?
1: That was so that was unreal. Okay, so some dude, some random guy, posted this thing. We were we filmed a music video uh, like a month or two ago, and we were sitting around editing it, you know. And it's like a long, tedious process. And um, so I was just like flipping through Facebook, and I saw this post from this guy. He was like. Hey, I haven't been in the ska scene in like 20 years. And um, I'm just been focusing on my own business and it really took off. But I missed the ska scene and I'll, I want to get back involved. But anyways, I own a billboard in Times Square. Does anybody want to be on it? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do this, but if you mail me a CD, I'll put you on the billboard. And so we're editing the video anyways. I was like, okay, what what do we got to lose? Let's throw together like a little five-second clip or 15-second clip or whatever. And we mailed it to the guy. He hit me back up a couple hours later, and he was like, yeah, y'all are going to be on tomorrow night from like 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. every three minutes. <laughs> every three minutes? <laughs> yeah, like a 15-second clip every three minutes for like 12 hours. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, let's see. And I would, like put the live stream on, and we were like, "Holy shit!" We were like up there on ti- in Times Square, like on this huge like twenty foot billboard. <laughs> yeah, so that's how that happened.
2: That's incredible. Okay, read of We Are the Union uh, has a fuck, marry, kill for you. Hamburglar, Ronald McDonald the Gr- and grimace. Oh man, um, which one do you marry? Which one do you have sex with? And which one do you kill?
1: Yeah, I guess I would marry the Hamburglar guy because, I mean, you would get hamburgers, right? Sure. I would assume you would. And then I'd have to fuck Dermis. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, and yeah, definitely kill wrong.
2: And then kill the clown. That makes sense to me. <laughs>
1: Take t- t- his uh, suspenders or whatever, those overall things. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay, and then Stuck Lucky, favorite horror movies. And I think we can spend a little bit of extra time on this one.
1: Uh, I saw Psycho Goreman recently. That was pretty dang good. Uh, I don't know. I was just talking with my wife about this today because um, she bought me this movie poster thing for my birthday, and it came in the mail today. My favorite movie changes like every day, basically. Yeah. What do you?
2: What sort of horror movies do you gravitate towards?
1: Um, I love creature features. You know anything with like little monsters running around or you know little animated like killer dolls or something like that i love I love that
5: which human centipede is your favorite of the trilogy part two part two <laughs> that's the correct answer
1: yeah <laughs> it's the best one it's it's actually pretty good <laughs>
5: is it I- oh it's disgusting is perfectly disgusting,
1: oh yeah.
2: I only watched the first one, and uh, I, I actually thought it was way better than I expected it to be. Yeah, but I still I should check out the second one.
5: The second, it's black and white also, so it like makes it extra creepy, especially the direction they go in it with it.
1: Yeah, I've never seen a sequel quite like that. Um, how do you how do you feel about modern horror? Um, you know, it's like any other horror. It's like there's some really good stuff, and there's some really trash
2: in in recent memory what's the the best and the worst of the uh of the newer horror movies for you
1: uh well i mean psycho gorman just came out what, like a month ago and that was that was incredible um bad movies let's see you know i saw camp blood 8 recently uh, not that <laughs> good <laughs> i
2: kind of guessed it, it wouldn't be that good from from it being the eighth, it one.
1: sucks. Part seven was good.
2: <laughs> I guess they only had seven in them, right?
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Uh, Brent of We Are the Union would like uh, you to tell your favorite Dante story.
1: Oh, jeez. Um, I don't want to get him in, in trouble. Uh, wait.
5: So, so first off, who is Dante?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So we have two drummers. We we have a drummer that plays locally and records with us. And then we have Dante, who drums with us when we go out on tour. Okay. A Dante story? Come
2: on, man. (laughs) He also said he also would like you to retell the Cat Shit House story.
1: Yeah, okay. So, you know, you stay at those places that are just, yeah, the worst. So our bass player, Clay, you know, he's tired. Maybe he was drunk. I don't know. But we played this show. And we like went to McDonald's and got like a hundred chicken nuggets. <laughs> 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 so we're eating all these chicken nuggets and he, he drops one and he picks it, he picks it back up and he's going to eat it. But it's a fucking cat turn. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: what is it with staying at super gross houses on tour? Like, I mean, I guess it's just the nature of punk rockers, maybe, but man, I have we've stayed in some disgusting
1: conditions. Us too, and it's not that I'm not grateful, but if I never have to do that ever again, I would be pretty happy about that.
5: Is that the worst one? Do you have a better, is there a worse?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, we stayed at some lady's house in Georgia that was like, you couldn't even walk in the house. It was just like, Piss and shit. I felt bad for her dogs. Like I, I mean, that's kind of abuse, right? You're just letting your animals stay in the house, and like I wouldn't want to live there. Why? Why would your dog want to live like that? Me and Andrew uh, just ended up sleeping in a closet because it was the only place that had a clean floor. It was bad. How many
5: dogs did she have? Was it a lot, or was that just they weren't? She wasn't cleaning up after the the one or two she had.
1: Yeah, I want to say she had like three, and um, she 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 didn't have any furniture there, but she had um, she had a mop where you could tell like in the kitchen she had like mopped it up at one point, but the mop was so soaked with piss that it couldn't hold any more liquid, <laughs> so like, you couldn't even clean it up, and it was also like freezing that night, so like. I tried to sleep in the van for a little bit. Yeah, it it was it was bad. Yeah, that's
2: always the worst when you stay somewhere, and sleeping inside of your dirty tour van is like the cleanest place. <laughs>
1: it's, it does suck.
2: In defense of ska, will return in a moment.
0: Hey, everybody! It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo twenty twenty four. These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ, how would people get qualified?
3: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
4: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so I haven't I haven't had a
2: whole lot of time to spend with the album yet. Mike sent it to me literally an hour before this podcast. First off, I want to talk about the album cover. What can you tell us about this album cover?
1: Oh man, I don't know if Mike told you, but we had probably about like six different album covers before we could finally get one done. Uh, none of them felt right, and so like Mike was like, "Yeah, we need that artwork like tomorrow," and so. We went to a thrift store and just bought a whole bunch of like porcelain dolls and all kinds of glass figurines and stuff. And we just uh, stood in our bass player's backyard and on a ladder and like dropped these things on the concrete and took pictures of them as they were breaking. And we just got super lucky on that.
2: I mean, it's a really striking image. Yeah. The way that it's shattering and the way that it's like, hasn't completely come apart It's just like, it's almost like one of those diagrams of something where they've exploded it out and and all the different pieces are kind of floating in midair. It's a really great evocative image for the album.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. If I didn't like see it happen, I probably would have thought it was like Photoshopped or something. Yeah. The second we all saw it, we were all like, oh, that's it. That's it.
2: We just like knew. That's such a great moment. The title, um,
5: I can't take it anymore is there um? was there significance meaning behind that title for this album
1: yeah I, I feel like all our albums end up being like have like double meanings kind of we always fuck with our bass player clay he's like the guy in the band that we fuck with and um we we're just fucking with him on on tour and he he would just like get so <laughs> tired of it and uh we were like do you know zach from pears yeah he he was our merch guy on this tour and um, he was, like, holding him down, and we were just, like, singing this song at him. And he's like, please stop singing it. And um, I can't take it anymore is what he said. And we, we thought that was so funny, and we we're like, we're going to put that on an album someday. <laughs> and then, like, you know, we're, we're writing this album. And I, I basically had an idea of, like, the overarching theme of the album. And I was like, that kind of, like, fits into what the album is, like, mostly about.
5: What would you say is the overarching theme of the album?
1: Um, Just like next week, I will be four years sober from drugs and alcohol.
5: Oh, congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you. And it was just like something, I felt like it was like something I couldn't control almost. Um, like I, I didn't even want to drink and use anymore. I, I can't, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, it Maybe if someone else is an addict, they would understand what it's like. And It's like you can't control your own body. Like, putting this poison in your body, it's, it's insane. And, like, I would just do it, and I would just, like, look at myself in the mirror and just be like, why are you doing this? Like, I, I don't want to live like this anymore, you know? I mean, that's basically, I couldn't take it anymore, you know? Not to get dark.
2: There's a song on the album called Rinse and Repeat and the one of the parts that repeats in it is is I'm new and improved so much better than I used to be. I was an alpha awful, awful alcoholic. I was a shitty drunk and fucked up on drugs. I mean that's pretty just bare right there out in the open like
1: Yeah, well I don't think there's I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about it. Um I feel like a lot of people that i know that are like uh, in recovery or like you know recovered there's like a lot of shame and like there's even like groups that are like anonymous alcoholics anonymous you know cocaine anonymous you know, like why why is it anonymous it's, it's i went to go get help in my life improved and now i help other people like putting the shame on, uh, on it and like making it something that's like Shh, you don't talk about this like That makes it worse. Like, wouldn't you want people to get help and to get better? Like, maybe I like bared it a little too much on this album, but I don't know. Maybe somebody will hear it and they'll, you know, they're they're not alone out there. You know, you can things can get better. You know,
2: I think it's spot on. I I really love that it's just so just laid bare like that. Like, it's not you're not trying to hide it inside of some sort of metaphor or you know flowery language. You're just laying it out. Which which I think is really powerful. Um, I also wanted to speak to the heaviness of this album. It's crushingly heavy. Like not in like a um like in a much more like throwback hardcore sort of feeling way. Like a almost um, like I mean, how many people are in there's a lot of people in Joystick, right? How many of you are there?
1: Eight or nine if you count both our gentleman.
2: Right. So the, the cool thing about being a ska band and being playing kind of hardcore type music is you can basically pull off youth crew vocals with just the band. <laughs> like the audience doesn't even have to participate at this point. And you guys can all everybody can do it off mic and like it still is going to sound incredible. And and I noticed these awesome moments of these like huge group vocal parts. Well, just tell us a little bit about the heaviness of this record.
1: I mean, I I kind of just uh have always written I guess after writing music for all these bands I've been in for so long, it, it kind of just like comes to me, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I kind of just write songs as they pop into my head. But I mean, that's like the kind of music that I like. And that's the kind of music that I've always loved and I've listened to. So I'm going to write music, <laughs> you know, I'm going to write songs like that because that's, that's what I like. And I love uh I love like gang vocals and like chants and stuff like that. It's 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 fun, man. I love going to shows, and you know, like when I saw you guys like "Time Store Hoods, That's so (laughs) fun to yell. That is so fun to yell.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I mean, it was funny because I saw. I mean, I went and saw Link Eighty as a as a fan, and they were playing that song. I was playing in Aaron's Band Flat Planet and we played a show with them in San Francisco and that was the song that stuck out in my head. And I was just like blown away by this super young heavy band. You know, I feel like there's definitely echoes of it on this on this new album um where it's like got that like really cool like youth crew hardcore vibe to it. And then the ska parts are not like rinky dinky uh flicka flicka guitar parts. They're like more more
1: musical than that
5: and there's like a kind of a jazzy element to the horns at times when you're
1: in the more ska elements our our horn our horn players are insane they they are so good (laughs) our guitar player too so like i'll write the songs and i'll i'll have like a horn line that i've written and like a guitar part and i'll be like okay here's here's the horn part and they will take this little simple melody i wrote and like just transform it. And the same thing with Mickey, our guitar player, he'll, he'll change it up. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't have that talent. I can, I can write the, the basic bones of a song, but I can't like, you know, polish it up.
5: I'm, I'm curious uh, if you don't, if you don't mind talking about it, your, your process of getting sober, um, which, you know, features heavily on this album. Did you have a moment that, you know, where you decided you were getting sober and what was the process of getting sober?
1: Yeah. um I definitely, I mean, I had been wanting to get sober for many years and I, I would try and I, you know, I would like be a dry drunk basically, or, you know, I would, I would stop doing drugs for like a month or two or, or less, you know, and then I would, inevitably always relapse it but it would still just progressively get worse and worse you know over the years yeah eventually i just hit i just hit a point where i just basically broke like my brain just I, i i like had a breakdown and um yeah so i i checked myself into a rehab place i basically had to start like being honest with myself, you know, and, and, um, kind of face some like stuff from my childhood and, you know, some ugly stuff and work through it. You know, you can't really, if you want to move past stuff, you you have to kind of just go through it and it sucks and it's painful, but once you get through it, it's behind you and like, you don't have to carry around that heavy weight anymore. You know, I I didn't have, I don't have to self-medicate anymore to try to like block out these feelings or these, uh, thoughts, you know?
5: Yeah. I have a friend of mine who is, um, he was a drug addict and he went in basically like a 12 month program. And he was telling me that, you know, he can't do drugs at all, but it took until about the third month before he started to have new thoughts where he was even able to admit that he had a problem and was able to start making mental changes. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely like a huge process from what I understand.
1: It is. Um, you, you're basically like relearning. I mean, you're like relearning how to deal with life for like the last, like 20 something years that anytime something would happen good or bad or whatever, like I would numb it, numb it out, you know, and, um, I never really like felt anything if that makes sense mm-hmm. so yeah it was like i basically had to like how to learn how to live again without my crutch
5: so was this album writing this album was this like a would you consider this to be a big part of your therapy in terms of like starting over starting fresh as a sober person
0: mm-hmm.
1: well the album we did before this was Like, half of it was written when I first got sober. But, like, I'm really, maybe, like, less than six months sober. I really didn't know what I was doing yet. I was kind of just, like, I felt like I was, like, free-falling. And then this one is, like, I'm, like, i am got a, you know, grasp on things. And um, I wouldn't say it, like, helped me stand up or anything. But it definitely has helped me talking about it is very freeing in a way, you know, I don't have to feel like I have to hide, hide anything really.
5: Cause yeah. Cause you, you're so open and so explicit on this album about it. Mm-hmm.
1: I tried to be, <laughs> 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 I feel like even if people don't know it, like on a conscious level, I feel like if you, people can tell, like through music or even people talking or like any kind of communication that like you can tell if someone's like not being sincere so i, I, I was like i don't know this what what's the point let's maybe if i talk about it it can help someone else maybe if if not it's going to help me i don't know if that's like a selfish way to look at it i just wanted to be honest and try to write about something i know about you know
2: yeah, I think when when you make art for yourself and you make something that y- is what you would want to listen to yourself with lyrical themes that, that resonate with you, it's gonna find a home with somebody else because we're all kind of similar people, and and whatever our struggle is and whatever we're going through, there's X amount of people out there that are having a similar experience that I think it'll it'll resonate with.
5: One of the things I like about ska punk is that it is oftentimes cathartic sounding, and like I just got that. I didn't, you know, like Adam said, I I didn't have a lot of time with this album before this interview, but the cathartic vibe of the album was really strong. It just felt like catharsis.
1: Hmm. It kind of felt like that, I guess. I, I I never really thought about it that way. Kind of want to reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, interesting.
2: I mean, the thing that my takeaway from it is the thing that I struggle with the most with ska punk and the whole concept of like, you know, in defense of ska is that there's, there's music like this that I feel like is grounded in, in like a real, real personal issues and like real passion for the music. And then there's like people who don't understand that the, that while the music is fun, it's not a joke. And and they're just like making a joke. And I think that's where there's this friction for me within within ska and ska punk, where I have a hard time saying like that, oh, both of these things have equal weight. Like because the the people who are making a joke, like I just have, have no patience for it. But like <laughs> and I feel like it, it it the other bands that have to get lumped in with these bands <laughs> that are being jokey. Like that's the detriment of the genre.
1: I feel like there's a time, there's a time and a place for bands like that. You know, um, yeah. I don't have a problem. Like, uh, I'm thinking of like the Aquabats come to mind. You know, oh, no, I mean
2: the the Aquabats. I feel like are a different on a different level. Like, there's there's in no, no universe where you're going to look at those guys in those costumes and think like as as funny as they are and as jokey as they are like you can really see all the work and craftsmanship that goes into that band oh yeah they're
5: they're performers i'm actually i saw them play once in the 90s and i wasn't even really a big fan of them beforehand but i just was so impressed with the the level of performance and how they all didn't break character the whole set i was just like these guys rule
2: <laughs> yeah i i actually w- was super not into them for forever and then saw them in 2006 i was working security and show that they played and i was blown away by how good they were like i was just like this is awesome these guys are total pros they like care about their audience deeply they're all good players and like they're all playing a character where it doesn't feel I think maybe it's just the quality of the joke, maybe. Their joke is really good. Maybe it's just stupid jokes that I'm not down with. I mean, I have to I guess I have to walk that back a little bit.
5: But I I know what you're saying, like the sound of ska punk to many people equals jokey, where that's only true for some of the bands, and it's not true for other bands. And it's it is a thing that some bands have to shake that. It's like, well, we're not a jokey band, even though sonically to you that's what you hear
2: right i mean a lot of people like call it like you know clown music or circus music and i hold up the new joystick record and be like is, is this clown music is this circus music to you because it's not it's basically a hardcore album with like some cool ska parts put into it
1: do you think that has uh, m- maybe that has something to do with the fact that like ska is always played on like uh, a Disney movie where there's like a montage of like you know a talking hamster or like a you know like a <laughs> commercial for like a mop
5: there's definitely an element with ska where it has been not necessarily the the context of which it was created but in the way that it was marketed and the way it was used like the way that labels presented it the way it was like yeah it became like America's funniest home videos music like that stuff, which I think to some degree is out of the hands of the individual bands has definitely m- marked ska a certain way to people.
2: It would have been great if they had like just made like industrial music, that music. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That'd be awesome. Just like a, a montage of like, of like dads getting hit in the balls to like a skinny puppy song. <laughs> That's what I want to see.
5: I'm in a perfect world. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Thanks. Duck, you bought a
2: house recently. Yeah. Congratulations. And then a tree immediately fell on it.
1: Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, uh, in my neighbor's uh, parking garage landed on our roof.
2: So what happened? I, I just saw some pictures a, a few days apart. and
1: Oh, so we moved, we moved in. And then three days later, a, a hurricane came through here and just like went down our street. Yeah, it was nice. Jesus. But it could have been way worse. It could have been way worse. You know, five years ago for maybe about six or seven months there, I was basically homeless and, uh, you know, spending all my money on drugs. So, uh, you know, I can I can live without electricity for a couple of days. And it's not that bad.
2: So, Duck, um, you're like the only reason that my – so it, <laughs> predictive text. If you type duck, if you type fuck into your phone, it changes it to duck. And I recently changed my phone so that it no longer autocorrects duck or fuck to duck. But now when I try to type your name in, it auto corrects it to fuck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens to a lot of people.
2: Where does duck come from?
1: Um, my mom gave me that name when I was like, a, a little tiny little kid. I guess when I was learning to walk, I would always fall in, like, I fell in a lake one time, I would, like, jump in puddles all the time, and so my mom just called me that, and it, I've just been called that basically my whole life. Okay. I wish I had a cool story.
2: No, that's a great story. I mean, I, I will always wonder if the nicknames that I call my kids are going to stick with them. I, it's actually a thing that I, I picked up from, from Link 80 where I just call them ding-dongs all the time. Because that was something that was something that the Link Eighty dudes would say, and I started calling my kids Ding Dongs, and I'm sure that they're going to think about that forever. So
5: you you call both of your kids Ding Dong?
2: Like no, I, I'll say like, all right, Ding Dongs, let's go. Like when it's time to do something, um, you know, talking to both of them at the same time. It's not like a it's not like a term of endearment. It's more of like, a, all right, you you Ding Dongs, like let's go. When I'm being sweet with them, they're like they're like little boy or little bear or some sweet thing like that oh oh big old soft <laughs> okay so i want to know about dante because i look at dante and i see someone who looks very similar to me a large mammal with long hair and a beard who, tell me about dante please
1: he is like the sweetest dude ever <laughs> he is insane his work ethic is crazy he tour manages for freaking every ska band, I feel like. He's less than Jake's full-time tour manager when they actually are touring. But, I mean, he's gone out on the road with Robic Big Fish. Gee, I mean, I don't know. Every freaking band ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude's been to a lot of places that I hope they get to go to someday. But uh, he works his ass off, and he's you know he he works he works hard.
2: I mean, for for myself, having joined the Bad Time Records roster in 2019, and becoming aware of the of the new crop of bands that are uh, playing this type of music and all the all the great people that are involved, I feel like I I am now now know who a lot of people are, but I have not had the opportunity to like meet them. But like Dante is one of the people that I'm really looking forward to spending time with in person eventually. And you too, duck. (laughs) You too, duck.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I probably, I probably did say hi to you at that show at the coffee place.
2: I mean, like I said before, like, like I feel like it might be a manufactured memory, like after you telling me about being there, but I swear to God, I remember you being at that show.
1: Dude I I spent I spent a lot of time trying to find pictures from that show or even a flyer. Yeah. I can't find anything. I found the ARA website where the tour dates were listed, but that was it. I wish I could have found more stuff about that show.
2: Yeah, I don't even know how that tour happened. Like I know that we must have accepted it because it was supposed to be sponsored by ARA, but they they had no presence at any of our shows like whoever the contact was that booked the tour for us. We got shafted out of like a thousand dollars worth of guarantees. And then at the end, he tried to settle up with us with a personal check and we went to cash it. It bounced.
1: Did y'all fly after that? No,
2: we drove straight out to Texas. So that was fun. Whoa. And then all the drives in Texas were brutal. Nobody, nobody realizes how big Texas actually is.
5: Oh, it's, it's crazy. I remember my band, every tour we did, we went through Texas and it was, Always, we always played in El Paso and we always played in San Antonio. And the, those two cities, there's nothing in between those two cities. Mm-mm. It's like
1: nine hours, and there's there's nothing to even look at on that drive. I always wish I would have got to see Flat Planet because uh, I remember like driving around with that Misfits of Ska, uh album, and and me and my friends, you know, we'd always be like. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little thing that we would all say to each other all the time. Yeah, I'm bummed that I never get to see you guys.
2: That's so funny because that song is not indicative of what Flat Planet sounded like. Aaron was the drummer in that band, and he did do backup vocals. Um, he shared vocals. It wasn't just backup vocals. He split vocals with the lead singer. But you were usually behind the drum set, and that was the one song where the the horn, one of the horn players would play drums, and Aaron got to get up and... Dance around and be goofy, but the rest of that band like was so good. Like they were, they were my introduction to ska punk, and they definitely, as the band progressed, I felt like they leaned further and further punk. And I feel like a big part of that was just that Aaron, you were able to just blast on the drums, like you could play that like fast punk beat. Yeah, I remember like you had that little pool house your parents where you guys would practice, and you'd just be down there just playing, playing the money beat. Nonstop stop <laughs> For like hours Just like <laughs> yeah. Duck there's a whole album of, of Flat Planet stuff That never got released
1: I, I gotta be honest that's the only song I've ever heard the, the only thing we released was that song And then
5: there was a um, Compilation that the Skank and Pickle drummer Put out We had a short-lived label It's called Bay Area Ska We had a few songs on that That's the only things that we that ever were released Aside from a, a demo tape that we sold at shows
1: hmm. Well, I love that one song. I just have fond memories of driving around and blasting it because it was—it was like one of the first. Uh, there wasn't like a lot of ska bands, at least that I knew of, back then that like had yelling in their in their songs. And y'all were like yelling during like you know, it's like, don't you wanna be like me, you know? <laughs> and I was like, fuck yeah, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i want to talk a little bit more about mrs scott too because aaron always kind of pooh poos that comp in in favor of the first one but mrs scott too was like a big deal to me are there any other songs on that comp that stuck
1: out to you duck um there was an animal Chin song on there that was really fucking awesome and um god there there was um my mind is blanking now.
2: Um, Do you remember the, the song Power by the band Absence?
1: Those, that's the song, yes. Yeah. That's the song I was trying to remember.
2: Yes, hell yeah. That song is is a jam. Like, it's so weird.
1: That's another band that I never heard any of their other stuff, in, but that song is awesome. Oh, it's so good.
2: They have a whole album from that period that's up online for free, and I've I've downloaded it twice and never listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't you listened to I it? don't know! Because I'm dumb. <laughs> but I love that song. I'm, I think what it is, is I like that song so much that I'm afraid I'm going to listen to the rest next, rest of the record and it's not going to be as good. Because that song is awesome to me. And and also the, the Link 80 tour in 97, the last tour with Nick, they played with Absence. And Seth, who was like my good friend who was playing saxophone in the band at the time, like I tried to get him to tell me like, dude, what it was like, what was it like? And he just like, Oh, he kind of told me, but I was, it wasn't the same as being there. And I really wanted to, uh, I really wanted to see that band. I got to see a lot of the other bands that were on Mrs. Scott too, like Thumper, Animal Chin.
1: Oh, they're great. Yeah.
2: But yeah, that was one that I, I missed out on. Okay. So living in Texas also, what about, what about the impossibles? Do you like the impossibles?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. They're great, man. Um, they were, um, no, I guess they weren't on the first ska show I went to. But I, d- I did see them a lot. You know, they would come up to Dallas a lot. Nice. And so you
2: were like, you in Dallas.
1: Well, I was in Grapevine, which um, it's like in between Dallas and Fort Worth. But back, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was like we had like a sonic drive through and That's it. There was like it was like a tiny town. And my backyard like butted up to like a cattle ranch. But um, it's completely different there now. I mean, you drive through there; it's just one large, massive city.
5: So, as as we wrap before we wrap, um, what is your what is the release date of your new album? I can't take it anymore.
1: April sixteenth. April sixteenth. Yeah. And, um, Very cool. We're we're announcing it on three eleven, and I was like. I was like hoping I was hoping Mike would push it back to like we release it on four twenty. Would have been <laughs> awesome. But yeah, four sixteen. Yeah.
2: I guess you can't
5: have everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh well.
2: But at least you can come original.
4: Thank
5: you so much for listening to In Defense of Skull. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaronharns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Ska podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to pre order my book, In Defense of Ska, go to clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you.